What does this say? Santa. Santa, huh? Open the present, Katie. So all those of you who ever put a cat or a kitten on your Christmas list, that is your warning. I just, uh, <laughs> I did love that. That was my favorite scene in the video, this guy right here. He's so excited. He's got a PlayStation that the cat steals all his joy. Maybe the cat wants the PlayStation too, and he was jealous. <laughs> I hope your Christmas so far has been without any drama. Uh, we have a few days left uh, before we hit Christmas, and then this time next Sunday, it'll all be over. Christmas is done. So uh, I hope you have a fantastic week planned. Uh, we, we love Christmas here at Connect. It's a great time to uh, celebrate Jesus and uh, just the decorations, the music, it's all just wonderful. It really is. But, uh, and, and last week, I tell you what, I wasn't able to be here last week. I was actually uh, back in England visiting my parents who uh, then came home with me. They're going to be with us. Uh, they are with us here this morning. They're with us for Christmas as a family. So great to have them. But um, I got to watch online, and I saw if you weren't here last week, you need to check out last week's service, because our kids did a fantastic job. They did such a good job. And um, the video that the team put together, I had no idea when I arrived to film that what was going to happen. Uh, those were genuine reactions of horror that I had in that video when those kids were asking me some of the questions they were asking me. But they did very well. We are very blessed to have a great kids team, a great creative video production team, uh, just a a wonderful service. But for these last few weeks, um, if you're joining us for the very first time today, here in person or online, we've been talking about the theme we've kind of focused in on around this Christmas season is peace. Because peace is a, um, a very large part of the Christmas story. In fact, uh, you just have to drive around neighborhoods. Sometimes you'll see yard displays. Uh, if you go to stores, you might see Christmas cards or ornaments, decorations that, that have those words that we think about at Christmas time. Joy, hope, love, and peace. Uh, they are just great Christmas words, Christmas concepts. And we're talking specifically about the idea of peace. We reflect on the fact that Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem, but the hundreds of years before that, a prophet by the name of Isaiah, he gave us um, a preview of what we could expect when he said in Isaiah 9, 6, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And as we've been talking about this idea of peace, I think it's been good to kind of look back to, to the Bible times, to the New Testament times, to the, the time hundreds of years before Jesus was born when Isaiah wrote these words because we read them um, and we're not aware of the context in which these words were written. Because you see, back in this time, to, 
To have a phrase that said, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. There's a bit of a contrast there in Isaiah's statement. He's talking about um, this, this person who will one day come who will be a mighty God, but will also be a prince of peace. And what you may not realize is that in the culture in which that was written back in those times, those two phrases, they went together in a very different way than they do today. People hearing Isaiah say that, talking about this mighty God, this Prince of Peace, would have understood that concept differently maybe than we would today. Because we're back in a time where, where these different groups of people, they all had different gods. The Greeks, they uh, believed in many gods, and one of those gods was Ares. Um, Ares was the god of war. Ares was extremely powerful and bloodthirsty. He loved battles, destruction, and slaughter. None of the Greeks liked him, and it was said that even the other gods didn't care for him. It was said that even Zeus considered Ares to be the most hateful of all the gods for his wanton destructiveness and violence. So you've got this bloodthirsty god named Ares that the Greeks were aware of. Um, to add to his image, he had two sons whose names were Phobos and Demos. Phobos and Demos, that means fear and terror. That's the kind of family we've got here. And it's kind of ironic, actually, fear and terror, because um, since joining CrossFit earlier this year, that's the name I now give to my two biceps, fear and terror, right there. So it's, uh, who would have known? Centuries after the Greeks come up with this, this idea of Ares being the god of war, the Romans come along and they kind of adopt this god and they give him a little makeover. And in their culture, he was reborn with a, a more positive public image. And, and their god, they, instead of calling him Ares, they called him Mars. Mars was the god of war in the Roman culture. The people of Rome, they loved him. They celebrated him. He was considered the father of the Roman people. They made temples to honor him throughout the empire. Sculptures of him were depicted with a great spear in his hand because his philosophy was to bring peace through war. This God of, of Rome, that he would bring peace through war. He was, seen, he was seen as a protector of the Roman Empire. So it was with this backdrop in mind that Isaiah is talking about who will one day come, a mighty God the Prince of Peace. When Jesus was born, there was this expectation that this, this Prince of Peace would come and, and the people of the time, this was the culture in which they lived. So they were expecting some kind of mighty gods to bring peace through destruction. But as we learned a few weeks ago, Jesus' kingdom was a lot different than earthly kingdoms. Jesus turned everything upside down. Earthly kingdoms, we learned, are defined by the sword but Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom, is defined by the cross. So the New Testament church that, that Jesus came to establish, it was built upon this brand new kingdom that was countercultural to the ways of the world. Instead of this image that the God of Ares and the God of Mars evoked, you have Jesus now who, who starts off his life as a baby and grows up into a man and, and gives us this image of what a servant king looks like. And now peace comes about in a completely different way. 
And 2,000 years later, it's great for us to learn about this. And, and we could leave this morning thinking, wow, that's really interesting. I never thought about that. The fact that, you know, 2,000 years ago, this was kind of the world in which they lived. And the idea of Jesus coming as the Prince of Peace was a lot different to what they expected and what um, God, mighty God, looked like in that time. But I think it's more than just historical value. I think it actually applies to us today still, to our attitudes, to our thought process. Because I don't know about you, but I've not heard anyone recently talk about Mars or invoke the name of Mars in a prayer. I don't know of any modern temples anywhere around here devoted to Mars. So the assumption would be that Mars and Aries are has-been gods, that they no longer exist. But sadly, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, that's not really the case, is it? If we're honest with ourselves, Mars is still very much alive and well. He's living among us and operating just as much today as he did back then. Whenever we go to war with another individual, Mars is there. Whenever we justify destroying another human being with gossip or slander, Mars is there. Whenever we refuse to apologize to someone that we've hurt, Mars is there. And whenever we choose to not forgive, to hold another person emotionally or mentally hostage because of what they've done to us, Mars is there. Whenever military might is combined with religion, Mars is there. Because Mars is more than a God. Mars is an attitude. And it's one that the Prince of Peace came to combat, to turn upside down, to help us rid from our lives. We've been talking about the, the peace that only Jesus can bring. We've talked about how countercultural Jesus' message of peace was to the world in which he lived. And this morning, I want to focus a little bit on how we, especially if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, have been called to live at peace with one another. In fact, listen to what Paul says when he writes to a, a brand new church in Colossians 3.15. He's talking about peace. He says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body... You are called to live in peace and to always be thankful. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Now, I'm not sure what brought you here this morning. Maybe this is your very first visit. Maybe you've been coming for a while. But wherever you are this morning, I know that there are some here in the room who are still exploring, still checking things out, still trying to decide whether this, this story about Jesus has a relevance in your life today. Maybe you're at that point in your life where you're intrigued enough to come on a Sunday morning, intrigued enough to learn more, but you're still not kind of jumped in, still not dived in and said, you know, I'm ready to give myself wholeheartedly to Jesus. That may be you here this morning. And my hope and my prayer is that today's the day Today is the day you decide, you know, I've, I, I've, I've heard enough now. I've seen the difference he's made in the lives of my friends or my family. I want to take that step of faith. I want to take that step in the direction of following Jesus. I want to begin that journey with him. That would be the most, the, wonder, the most wonderful Christmas gift you could give and receive this year. To give yourself to Jesus, to receive his love and mercy and forgiveness in your life. I promise you it'll change your life forever. But 
if you are here this morning and you have taken that step, if you're here this morning and you've made that decision to follow Jesus, then you've made a decision to turn from your old ways and turn to your new ways. We use this phrase here at Connect a lot, to be a follower of Jesus. Because it's, it's kind of a, a verb, you know, we, we hear the phrase Christian a lot, and Christian's a great word, but it can be quite easy, kind of just check a box and say, yes, I'm a Christian. But when we say we're a follower of Jesus, that kind of gives this impression that there is some movement that needs to take place, that if I'm following Jesus, then really I should be going in the direction that he's going. I should be living the kind of life that he modeled. I should be following the commands that he gave. And the Prince of Peace didn't just come to bring peace, and to give us peace in our hearts. The Prince of Peace came to teach us what it looks like to live in peace, to combat the, the attitude of the world in which he was born, and to combat our own attitudes that would want to fight and battle and go to war with one another. So if Paul is right, and he's saying here this morning that as members of one body, which we are members of one body this morning, this, this body of, this local body here connects church, this body here in Washington, Illinois, but members of one body, capital C, the church, that's all the churches here in Washington and central Illinois and the United States and the world, the, the people who, who gather together to, to follow Jesus, we are members of one body. We are called to live in peace. So why do we have such a hard time with that? Why is that difficult for us sometimes? I've got a couple of reasons maybe why we have a hard time living at peace with one another. I think the first reason is sometimes discontentment creeps into our lives. Discontentment. I started to read that from my notes and I read it like phonetically instead of just the way the word is. Discontentment. Discontentment. It's a long word. It's hard. You know, I can remember um, my kids are a little bit older now. They're in uh, middle school and college. And, um, but I can remember when they were real little and we would go on journeys together in the car. And uh, any of you with small children uh, instantly will remember this. Even if you of you who've got kids in college are gonna just go right back in your mind to those wonderful times when you were driving the van and from the back seat you can hear those cries of, Dad, Dad, she started it. Dad, he's got my, my toy, he's got my drink. Dad, I had this first. She crossed my line. She's on my side. This happens on, sadly, a pretty regular basis in the Jane minivan. So, being mainly the main driver most of the time, I did what any good parent would do in a moment like that. And that was I would put in my noise-canceling headphones. And... Uh, <laughs> There we go, three times they've been mentioned. Someone here is gonna say, listen, I've gotta get some of those headphones that this pastor keeps talking about. I would put in my nose canceling headphones and I would let Casey deal with it. And uh, that didn't go too well. So I would, I would try and shout and tell them to be quiet. I, sometimes I would do that thing that you do and you're kind of waving your arm in the back seat and your kids are just like, <laughs> this gets even more fun now because there's this object swinging around. It's just a horrible idea, terrible, but... I can remember going on a trip. Um, we went out west on a vacation once, and uh, this particular vacation, it involved a lot of driving. We rented a minivan, and there was a lot of driving while we were out there, and it just seems that everywhere we went, there was fighting and squabbling and arguing, and of course, mum and dad are in the front seat getting more and more frustrated and shouting and waving and, you know, whatever it took to try and get control of all of this chaos. And I remember Casey and I, we said, you know, when we got back, that's it. 
we are never going on a family vacation again. <laughs> At least not one that involves driving a vehicle. But you know what's weird? To this day, we talk to our kids about that vacation. It's one of their favorite vacations ever. <laughs> they loved it. We're like, what about all the fighting? They're like, what fighting? We don't remember it. I was like, how do you not remember it? It was literally like short quarters. And there was every second, every mile of the journey. They're like, we don't remember it at all. I hope and pray. I'm looking forward to the day when my kids have kids of their own. And I'll get a text one day from my son and my daughter saying, Dad, I'm sorry. <laughs> I now understand what it was like driving that van all through California. But the thing is, it's not just a kid thing, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if that was something that just happened with kids and, and they grow out of it and they, you know, it changes. I wish those fights just ended at adolescence. But James, who was actually the brother of Jesus, he grew up with Jesus. He was Jesus' um, half-brother. He writes a letter in the New Testament. He talks about a lot of things, but he talks about fights and, and quarrels, and he kind of gives a little bit of a, a reason for it. He identifies this root attitude that pushes back against peace in our lives. In James 4, 1 through 2, he says this. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires of war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You know, as I read those words of James, they, they conjure up the image of the god Ares or Mars, the, the desire to fight, to wage war. And that's the world that Jesus came to turn upside down. James is saying that very often our lack of peace comes from these little wars that we start every time we're discontent, every time we, we find ourselves in that place of, of discontentment and frustration with other people. The reality is that you could probably trace every single argument, every single conflict, every single quarrel, every lack of peace in your life, all lack of peace in your life to one place, and that is that you didn't get it your way. If we're honest with ourselves this morning, there's just that kind of selfish part of us that, that just wants it our way. And when we don't get it our way or when people don't see it our way, that, that rises up inside of us. And like James says, it starts to cause these, these quarrels and these fights. But if we're followers of Jesus here this morning... Paul is pretty clear on, on whether that's an okay attitude to have, whether that's okay behavior to follow. He actually says when he's writing to the church in Rome, in Romans 12, 18, he says, do all, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. It's such a short phrase. But as the more we think about it, we're like, man, but that's, Paul, that's difficult. I mean, it was easy for you 2,000 years ago because you didn't have social media. Do you know how hard it is for me now to live at peace with everyone when everyone's thinking differently, saying things differently, and it, it kind of causes some of this anger to rise up inside of me? But as followers of Jesus, Paul is kind of setting this bar here and saying, we should try to live at peace with, other, with everyone. And that's really difficult, but that's what the Prince of Peace came to help us do. 
I was thinking about it. You know, one of the ways that we often fall into this trap of, of um, struggling to live at peace with one another, especially as Christ followers, I think we do this um, without excuse, really. And that is this idea that occasionally we can, we can dehumanize who the other person is. So as well as discontentment, there's this idea that we, we dehumanize. Well, well, they are a problem because they think this way. I can't believe this person believes that. I can't believe those people think the way we are. They do. And we get angry, we get mad at these people, and, and, and Mars rises up inside of us. And it's difficult to live at peace because of the way they are and the things that they do. And in thinking about this idea of peace at Christmas time, it reminded me of a very famous Christmas over 100 years ago, 107 years ago, to be exact. It was Christmas Eve of 1914. Some of you may have heard this story before, others of you this may be new this morning information, but the First World War had just begun. We're familiar with this great battle that's taking place in Belgium between the Germans on one side, the British and the French on the other. And this was a particularly awful time of warfare in, in the world. You had these two sides who were just kind of at a gridlock, trenches built on, on either sides of a field. Very little space between the two of them, usually about 60 or 80 yards of what was called no man's land because no man could go there 